Paul was a tent maker by trade. That's what he did for a living. Made tents. And that was how he met Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, I love uh, hearing uh, the stories of Priscilla and Aquila. Do you remember they were they were around when uh, Ananias and Sapphira and uh, all of them uh, they were you know there at the early early part of the church. But here's how they met him. It said after this he left Athens, went to Corinth, where he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul came to them, and being of the same occupation, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So we know that Paul made tents. It's interesting, the tabernacle, if you'll remember in the Old Testament, what was it? It was a tent. Uh, It was where they would set it up, take it down, carry it with them, and uh, they took that all throughout the wilderness. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, most of the translators call the passage where Lyle just read. They call the earthly body a tent. You thought I was going to allow you to sleep up here, didn't you? Uh, I wanted you to see a tent. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But the tent, the King James Version doesn't call it tent. You know what it calls it? It calls it earthly tabernacle. Isn't that interesting? But they weren't like this tent. In fact, they looked more like this. They were made of animal skins, usually goat skins. But it was how Paul made a living. Paul would would work at this. We, We always thought that, oh, he traveled around, he got paid for preaching More than likely, no, he didn't get paid anything for preaching. He got paid for making tents. And he's probably pretty good at it. And when you look at Paul's life, since we're talking about transformation this year, you see him transforming. He was a persecutor of Christians. He got letters from the Sanhedrin and would would chase down people who followed the way and he would drag them into courts. It was Paul who was there uh, and tended the coats when Stephen was stoned and left for dead. Paul was on his way to Damascus one day and light came to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was at that point that Paul, he went into town, he talked to Ananias, uh, Ananias, Ananias, and he was baptized. And it was at that point, I mean, he left for a little while, but Barnabas went and found him. And he takes him and he makes him, I don't know that he made him, Jesus made him into what he was. Now, when we read the scriptures, we see that and we say, oh, that that was something that happened in a year or two. This was a process. And you know I've been saying that transformation is not something that happens overnight. It is a process. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. In fact, by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, all indications are that Paul is possibly in his early 50s, which is an old man. 
I think it's a young man, but do you realize what the what the average life expectancy was in the time of Jesus? It's about 35. So Paul had lived far beyond his years in so many ways. And so I want to talk a little bit about this, but I want to tell you a story first. Dr. Gaines was president of Harding for many, many years, uh, 22 years, I think. And uh, I remember having a girl that came on campus. I think she was from Romania. And I don't know why I remember this, but I remember her name. Her name was Raluca Eliescu. Say that five times real fast. And, and Dr. Gaines had traveled to Romania. He had been there a number of times. When he found out that, <clears throat> that she was on campus, he called me and said, hey, make sure you bring her by. I said, well, of course, you know. And I mean, she was a little late. Dr. Gaines called me, you know, is she here yet? Those kind of things. <clears throat> and so when she got in, we, we marched straight on over to Dr. Gaines's office and sat in this. I, I was always awed by going in there. And he started telling Raluca uh, about these trips that he had made to Romania. And he told her the hotel that he stayed in. And she said, oh, that's a, that's a big one. It must be, and, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but she said, so just kind of go along with me on this part, okay? She said, that must be 12 stories. And Dr. Gaines looked at her and said, uh-huh, uh-huh, 15 now, how many of you remember how many stories the hotel is that you've stayed in? Motel 6 only has two. I can remember that. But he reached over and he pulled out a little chunk of look like plaster. And he said, in fact, this little piece of plaster is from the ceiling from my hotel room when I was in Romania because we had an earthquake. And I was just amazed, and, and I just sat there and, and just took in those stories, and he would tell another story, and it was just, it was just beautiful, and he kept Raluca, and, and he kept me just, just enthralled. It was one of those kind of things where I could have sat for hours and listened to his stories. Can you imagine listening to the Apostle Paul? as he sat and told stories. I'm going to come over here just for kicks. Can you imagine sitting across from the apostle and hearing him talk about the persecutions, hearing him talk about the places he had visited and the buildings that he had seen and all of those kind of things. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you in the back that I was going to do this. Are we all right? <laughs> okay. And, and if you read Paul's epistles, some of them are very, very theological in their nature, but some of them are very personal. It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this to this group of people. He, he wrote letters to Timothy. He wrote to... To Philemon, or to yeah, Philemon about Onesimus, and he asked him to take him back. He wrote to Titus. Oh, I am always blown away when I read the end of Romans and I see all those people that he says 
here's so-and-so, they send greetings, here's so-and-so. And and I just, I'm blown away. And I, I remember doing that, and I've told you about this, coming at the end of Colossians and reading about those people there and him talking about Epaphras and saying, he's one of you. And so as we look at this, I kind of see Paul talking in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He's kind of fussing at them. He's kind of teaching them. He's kind of rebuking them. But it seems to me in 2 Corinthians, as he comes to them, he seems to take on a little gentler tone. He tells them of his hardships. He tells them of the difficulties that he's been through. And I left the clicker up here. I could have done that without telling you, huh? He tells them all kinds of things like that. I, I just love that. But as he comes to Second Corinthians, he says they've been pressured and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. It's been a difficult life for Paul. And later in chapter 11, he told them of all the things that he had been through. He talked about beatings and, and stonings and shipwrecks and, and being beaten with rods and being whipped. But then he kind of takes on a, a gentler tone. It's kind of like Paul sitting in the chair saying, let me, let me talk to you a little bit. And as you look at Paul, you see the marks on his body. You see the scars that he has. After all, he's 50 years old, which is not very old to most of us. But to the world at that time, that's an old man. And he tells them all of the things that have happened. He's bone-weary, and so he's old. And so we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And where he says... For we know. I, I, I'm blown away by that saying because if you'll read the book of James, you'll find that that's in there a lot of times. We think, oh, you know, Christianity is just something that's just kind of ethereal. It's kind of out there. It's, it's a, a feel-good kind of thing. Over and over and over in Scripture, the writers say, and we know. And Paul says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our, earth, or our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
we talked a little bit about that last week. I've, I've had people ask me all the time, what is our heavenly body going to look like? Well, I, let me tell you, I don't know. I can give you my opinion, but I have nothing to, to really tell you that's concrete. And I know we go to the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, For flesh and blood cannot. If you have flesh and blood, it cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's kind of interesting as I was reading this. It actually says cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? We've assumed all our lives that that means heaven. I'm not sure that's what he's saying there. Didn't Jesus his entire life say, my kingdom is not of this world, and they tried to make him an earthly king, and he says, no, that's not what it's all about. It's a spiritual kingdom. Maybe that's what Paul's trying to say here, is that this is a spiritual kingdom, and, and fleshly people aren't going to be a part of that. You say, well, Jim, what's, what do you mean fleshly people? I mean that our life is spiritual. We have a soul. There is, there is something about us that has been put into us by God. And I think it helps us to understand when, he, when in, the, in the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Maybe he's saying that the kingdom, the rule of God, will it? enter our hearts will it enter our lives and he says it's that kind of thing it goes beyond flesh and blood but paul does say that our perishable can't inherit the imperishable you see tents are trans uh, they're, they're, they're just transient there's no foundation we just came by Millard Roadhouse not too long ago. They're tearing it down. It's taking them several days. It wouldn't take 10 minutes. It would take me 20, but uh, uh, it wouldn't take very long to, to take that down. Paul is saying that we'll be transformed to the eternal. So, I want you to see three things here. First of all, you notice Paul's demeanor here? He's joyful. What we are is we have a tent. It's just temporary. It's not permanent. It's transient. It's something that's not going to be here. We have, I quote the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4 all the time from 16 to 18. You know, about... What is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And Paul just reiterates that by saying, this body that we have is just a tent. There's nothing permanent about it. One of the things that I like to watch, I, I confess last week that you may have to take my man card because I watch HGTV. And I do. But another thing that I watch when Martha goes to sleep, um, no, I, I watch HGTV all the time. But one of the other things I watch is, and I know, you're going to think, boy, you are one weird dude, and that's okay. 
I love to watch hikers. I watch Craig Adams. I watch uh, Dixie. Uh, I, I watch them. I, I watch them hike the, the different trails, and, and, and I marvel at the things that they do. Dixie has walked the, the Appalachian Trail and the, and the Pacific Crest Trail and the, and the uh, Continental Divide Trail, and, and to walk those thousands of miles. And they have tents or hammocks they even carry with them. And I'm just blown away by that. And they have to lug them everywhere they go. They have to buy food to eat. And along the way, they have to make little, little side stops at post office and little stores. And they have to find something to eat. And you know, Peter calls us foreigners. He calls us exiles. If you've ever been in a foreign country. I'm not like Teresa. I can't go to Mexico and speak Spanish and and fit right in. I remember going to France. My kids were scared to death. Because I said, oh, I can get us around. Yeah. I took French in high school. I've been in the Dominican Republic where you, you sleep under a mosquito net. Been to Trinidad where they they did a we did a Bible study in a house where the kid was running around naked and there was no glass in the windows. I've been to Russia and where I thought the food would be pretty good and I found myself eating ramen noodles all the time that I had brought with me. That's not that's not really our home. When we're home, we feel comfortable. And that's what we talked about last week. But Paul says, I've left the Holy Spirit. God has left the Holy Spirit for us as a deposit. And that's a reason for joy. But number two, he even says, even though he's looking forward to his life, he doesn't despise the life he's living now. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is something that's kind of interesting to me. You know, if, if you can see, it's not faith. He says, we walk by faith. Uh, you know, he says in 2 Corinthians, we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident and would prefer to be away from the body and at home in the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So He tells us what to do while we're here. He says, I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to live it. I want you to be the kind of person that you ought to be. James, um, Jesus in, in John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I came that they may have life. He doesn't want us to go around saying, Oh, I live here on earth and it's bad. But one day, he says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I I don't want you to despise the life you live. I want it to be profitable. I want it to be good. I want it to be a kind of life that is fulfilling to you. William Barclay says it's Paul's conviction that already Christians can enjoy the foretaste of life everlasting. It's given to Christians to be citizens of two worlds. And the result is not that they despise this world, but they will find it wrapped round with the shining glory, which is the reflection 
of the greater glory to come. So Paul says, I want you to to be joyful. I want you not to despise this life. And then he kind of snaps to. Not that these other two things are are just something that he's just kind of... He gets real serious now. And the third thing he says is, we got to face the judgment. It seems to be his message, no matter what. Paul's always warning us, always telling us, and saying we got to remember that we got to face the judgment day. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. And so, you would think that if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. If we don't walk in the light, what? And so he calls us. He says, I want you to be joyful. I don't want you to despise this life, but I want you to understand that there is a judgment coming. Paul doesn't talk about grace at this time. I think he's full of grace. He, he understands what grace is, but he also wants us to understand what reality is. Can you imagine sitting with, with Paul? Can you imagine the stories that he would tell? Wouldn't you love to do that? Wouldn't you love to just sit down and say, Paul, tell us, tell us about the time that you were stoned and left for dead. Tell us about the time that you healed the people and they thought you were gods. Tell us about the time that you and Barnabas fought over John Mark. Tell us about the time that you stood and tended the coats with Stephen. And so what Paul's saying here is he's calling us to live life that's transforming. To change. To see where you've been, but that's not where you're going. And he calls us to follow Jesus. Jesus.